Welcome to Journey Church Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Here at Journey, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So whether you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend's worship experience. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. We hope you enjoy the message. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 6 for the fourth time, but this time I'll read it. Uh, Hey, this is the only verse we're going to read today. One verse. It's short, but it's powerful. Might not make sense right now, but it'll make sense later. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 6. It goes like this. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. If it's only one verse, let's read it again. But let's read it corporately. I think we usually have it on the screen. Let's read it together. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Better is one hand with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Let me pray one more time for, for what God has for us. I'll, I'll give you a little introduction, and then I'll tell you the title. Father, we love you. We thank you. So grateful for everybody who's decided to be with us today. We ask that you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears. We want to hear you. We want to be encouraged by you. We want to be changed and transformed in a very special way like only you can. Come, Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says amen. I get a lot from from, uh, young ministers and young pastors, and they want to know how is it that we develop sermon series? How is it that we decide what we're going to preach on? Well, I build a message series a lot like I build a decision. How many people were here for the decision, decision sermon series? Yeah. We found out that there are four things that you should consider when building a decision. Go to God's word, go to God's people, look at what's going on around you in your life, and pray and ask the Holy Spirit's guidance. And so I'm super confident that this is the word God wants to share with us today because I found 2,350 times in the Bible God talks about money. God talks about finances. As far as other people, I can't tell you how much of our counseling that Liz and I do with premarital counseling and married couples and individuals, how much money comes up uh, in those conversations. All of the unexpected bills or the debt, the tens of thousands of dollars in debt that people are struggling to get out of. We have people in our church who are about to go into the retirement stage of their life and they're wondering if they're going to have enough money to be able to make it. Uh, without work. And so we realized that was important. Uh, We also looked around and we realized that this month is March. March is a good month for some people because March, you're going to get this thing in the mail like manna from heaven called a tax return. Yeah, some of us. Some of us are going to get this thing in the mail called a tax bill, but for a lot of people today, (laughs) for a lot of people, March will be a time where we're going to get tax returns, and I knew it was going to be an important topic to talk about because we have some people in church who are $12,000 in debt, they're about to get a $6,000 return, and they're going to use that to buy an $18,000 car they can't afford, and $6,000 worth of free cash just turned into $18,000 worth of debt like that. Because you thought you had money you really didn't have. Uh, And then lastly, I really felt like the Spirit of God was leading me to share this with you. Uh, And I needed that. I needed that confirmation. Because if I'm going to be honest and frank, talking about money in church is a little bit difficult. Uh, For the first, first off, there's the whole stigma that church is just after your money and all they want 
uh, is, is your money. And, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but I will say for now, this is not that type of sermon, and we are not that type of church. Amen? We don't want something from you. We want something for you. Okay? Uh, and, and secondly, um, I think it's important, and I think it's significant to talk about, and it's hard to talk about, because if I'm going to be honest, our church is full of financial di- diverse people. Uh, uh, we're blessed to have in our church a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs, a ton of them every time I meet them. That's exciting. Um, uh, but we're also blessed to have a lot of single moms and uh, a lot of young people and a lot of people are retirement. And how do you preach to a, a group of people that is so diverse? How do you speak to people who, who half of them or a quarter of them have Amex black cards in their wallet uh, and the other quarter got EBT cards uh, in their pocket. If you don't know what an EBT card is, you're not that half, okay? That's why we call food stamps, all right? Uh, how, do you, how do you talk to such a diverse population, uh, a demographic, uh, about such a controversial issue and topic? And I think we got to just sh- shift the question. Uh, typically, when people speak about finances, the conversation revolves around what do you have? But I can't talk about that because some of us have different amounts of money than other people, and we can disconnect if the message isn't relevant. And so we're going to shift the question today from what do you have to what will you do with what you have? And I think that's the question that really cuts across the demographical and financial lines. What will you do with what you have? Because I've learned that God is way more concerned with what you will do with what you have than what you have. And I know that because Jesus once told the story about three employees, and he was the the boss, and he paid one guy one dollar, And he gave the other guy $2. And he gave this third guy $5. And the guy who had five turned the five into $10. And the guy who had two turned the two into $4. But the guy who had one just kept the $1. And when Jesus came back to see how all his employees had done with what they were given, he got upset at the guy with one, not because he didn't have a lot. You have to catch that. But because he did nothing with what he did have. That's significant and that's important because the story could have gone another way because the Bible says he took the the $1 and gave it to the guy who had turned the 5 into 10. But that story could have gone another way. Imagine for a moment that the guy who had 5 had just come back with 5. But the guy who had 2 had turned it into 4. You know who Jesus would have been mad at in in that scenario? The guy who had 5. But I don't get it. The guy who has 5 has more than the guy who has four. Yeah, but, but, but God, is, is, God is not in, God doesn't care about what you have. He cares about what you do with what you have. God is not a banker. He's a builder. He cares more about your actions than your account. He's not about the profit. He's about the process, which is why we've titled this two-week sermon series on Finances, stewardship, and money, fixer-upper, with a little subtitle of can you see it? Can you see it? Fixer-upper. I don't know if you know this, but when God found you, you were not a turnkey property. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, when God found you, you didn't have marble in your bathroom. When God found you, your, 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 your water was not right. When God found you, there were outlets that didn't work. I'm I'm trying to tell you that when God found you, you were, don't get offended, but you were a foreclosure. 
You, when God found you, your sin had put you so much in debt that you had become bank-owned, okay? That's the, that's, the, that's the bad news. The good news is you were, you were on sale for $30,000 on auction, you know, one of those state auctions. You were going for cheap, and God walked up into the building and dropped a million for your life. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, God sent his only son, the most valuable possession he had, to purchase you back from the devil, to purchase you back from hell. That's what the gospel is. And I love that because, again, the bad news is we're all fixer-uppers. Come on, if you're a fixer-upper, make some noise today. Yeah, if you got some issues, come on. Yeah, if your plumbing don't work right, you know what I'm saying, if you got some problems... That's you. That's the bad news. The good news is that God is not intimidated by your challenges or your struggles or your issues because God is a builder. As a matter of fact, the worse you are, the more excited he gets. He loves building things. He built the world in six days and rested on the seventh. He's that good. He can look into a life that has nothing. He can look into a life that is broken, and he can see good things because he has vision. My wife's like that. She can walk into an empty room, and she can be like, ooh, I see a couch there. I see deer antlers there. Mm-hmm. I see a leather little thing right here. We can blow up this wall right here. We can hang a shant. I just walked in and I saw a room. She had a vision. She was able to look at empty spaces and see furniture. Do you know God is so good? He can walk into the empty spaces of your heart and see things that aren't even there yet. He can walk into the emptiness of your soul and say, ooh, I see, I see purpose right there. And ooh, I see a little bit of compassion right there. And I know he's selfish, but I see a giver right there. And I know he's single, but I see a, I see a wife right there. And I see some kids over in the corner. And we're going to put a little business right here on the side. He can walk into the broken foreclosure for auction house house that is your soul and see a mansion in the process. I'm so grateful that I serve a God with vision for my life, a renovator, if you will, who's able to take broken things. And he don't even care. Let me tell you, he doesn't even care that the property is in shambles. He's just glad that he owns it. He don't even care that you got the things going on. He's just glad that you belong to him. He's excited about rebuilding. But he's the only one excited about rebuilding. Yeah. Imagine if that building were, were, had a personality or had a voice. She would not be excited about the renovation, if you can imagine it. In decay for years and years, and finally somebody walks in and buys you. You're like, oh, it's going to be great. And the first thing that person does is begin to knock down walls. Let me tell you something about renovation, whether it's your soul that's being renovated or your finances that are being renovated. Renovations are uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. Let me ask really quickly. Uh, how many people think it would be awesome, just awesome, to have your own house and renovate it just the way you like? Raise your hand if you think that would be cool. To get your own house and renovate it. Oh, keep your hand raised. I want to talk to you. Keep your hand raised. Okay. Look around, everybody. Look around. Here you go. Put your hand down if you have... If, you've, if you have ever renovated a house before, put your hand down. If you've never renovated a house before, put your hand down. 99% of the hands that were up went down. You know why? Because renovation is only exciting if you've never done it before. It can be one of the most frustrating. It's exciting until you get to Lowe's. And you're like, ooh, that wood floor looks nice. I want that wood floor, sir. I want some wood floor in my house. How much for that wood floor? And he's like, $2.30. And you're like, whoa, that's awesome. I'll take five. 
And they're like, no, sir, $2.30 per square foot. And you're like, oh, no problem. Babe, how much square feet do we have in our house? 2000 What the what? $4,000? Yes. Well, it's a lot of money, but I guess you can do it. Great. And who's going to be installing this floor? What do you mean? You mean if I buy it, does it just automatically go in? No, you got to pay. Well, how much is that? How about a dollar a square foot? What the what? Yeah, renovating is exciting until you're eating Chinese food and pizza for two weeks because your stove doesn't work. Renovating is exciting until you're washing dishes in the second floor sink of your bathroom because your kitchen doesn't work. It's in pieces. Renovating is exciting until you're living with your in-laws for two weeks because there's so much dust in your home that it's And this is just the stuff that's happened to me. I was living in my in-laws for two weeks. There was dust all over my home. The, the contractor said, you can't move back. You can die. I told Liz, we are going to take that chance. My God is bigger than cancer. He's bigger than asbestos. Amen. He's bigger. I can't be here no more. My in-laws were great. Don't get me wrong. It's just, I need to be able to walk around in my drawers. I bought the house for that exclusive purpose. To be how I wanted to be. And we went back into the house and, I, and it, was, it was crazy because we started to argue and we started to fight a lot. I don't want to be here no more. Well, you don't like my parents? Your parents are great. You don't want to know. Just so many arguments and so many fights. And I don't want you to lose that. I'm going to make a point with this is that I want you to catch that in my pursuit to build a better house, I was destroying what was already a better home. And what I want you to grasp is that so many of us in our pursuit to create more financial freedom actually create more financial stress. And so we got bills to pay, we got loans to pay off, we got things to buy, you know, food to buy, we got to send our kids to school, we got all these needs, and now, and, and that's the, and now we got to, we start Googling stuff that we've never Googled before, how to make $500 in a month. We start meeting with our boss, hey, can I get more hours? Maybe you are the boss, you start putting in more hours, you get a little side business going, you become an Uber driver, raise your hand if you're an Uber driver. Yes, you know, you got to do what you got to do got to do what you got to do to make some money. I, I know the struggle. We're living that right now. I got Liz selling stuff on eBay. Real talk. She's in like every online market right now selling clothes and toys. Just flipping stuff. She's at Toys R Us emailing me. How much did I get for this Superman? I'm like, I'll check real quick. Liz's things. Check it out. <laughs> they might have something you need. I'm just saying. Um. <laughs> But Ecclesiastes 4.6 captures the catch-22. We strive for two handfuls. But when we get to two handfuls, we find out that what's in our hands is not the thing that we thought would be there. So the passage says, I only have one handful. But with my one handful, at least I have some peace. But now that I have two handfuls, I've got two handfuls. And in one hand, I've got toil, which is the Bible word for stress. And on the other hand, I've got a chasing after the wind and unfulfillment. I don't have enough. I, I don't meet what I, and, and, let me, and let me tell you something, it's exactly like that. I, I spent thousands and thousands of dollars on renovating my home. And just when I thought I was done, I got this email from somebody I love. After the floors got put in, 
after the kitchen got blown out, after the bathroom got repaired, I got this. Install towel racks in bathrooms. Raise dishwasher up. Install rack for mop and broom in the garage. Patch up curtain holes in the living room. Put up shoe rack in the closet. Fix bathroom outlet. Put the cabinet above the fridge. Dad, I need you to put the cabinet above the fridge for me. Um, install base door stops. Install dryer duct. Check leaky pipe in bathroom. Spray paint light holder over master bathroom. Install house numbers on the outside. Who needs that? If you can't find my house, get a phone. Uh, put up chandelier in master bathroom. Remove old fan and inoperable lights. Install new doorknobs and hinges. That came from Liz. And, and, and she tried to make me feel good. She said, oh, it's a honeydew list. Honeydew. How about honey don't? How about honey? I just spent $30,000 on fixing up this house, honey, here, but you just be happy. Did, did. So the doorknobs don't match. I'm sorry. You got a floor. You got running water. Guys, this is like marital counseling for me. Just let me vent, okay? This is, this is free counseling for me. I just I need this opportunity to. Before you start fixing up your home, let me just tell you, renovations are a chasing after the wind. No matter how much you do, you'll never have enough. And it seems to be the same story with our finances. No matter how much you make, you'll never have enough. There's still bills that need to be paid. There's still vacations you wish you could go on. There's still school loans that seem to never go down. There's still, no matter how much you have saved for retirement, it seems like there's still not going to be enough to be able to make it that long. And people say, hey, we're living longer. That's great news. Not for the person who's retiring. I only got enough money to live till I'm 70. I either need to die at 69 or Jesus needs to come back. But I can't make it to 71, Lord. I can't make it to 71. You need to take me now, Jesus. I can't. I can't make it. It's not good news for everybody, right? No matter how much we make, the stress is still there. And that's what Ecclesiastes is talking about. And so this is what I want to do. This is where the can you see it comes in. Because we need to change your perspective. We need to change your shift. Here's what I want you to change. Change the goal from financial contentment to financial freedom. Because they're two different things. We pay him to say that, by the way. The, the hope... The hope is that I'll say something that gets you excited, and then you'll go ahead and you'll shout me down and say amen and say hallelujah, say praise God, and say glory to Jesus. And Come on, we got to get it. we got to be that kind of church, okay? It's biblical. The Bible says the promises of the Lord are yes and amen. That means if I say something you want, you got to do that right there, amen? So when I, especially when I start talking about finances, it needs to be like 20 amens in that, okay? You need to capture that. And there's the difference between financial contentment and financial freedom, okay? Financial contentment is a shift. It's shifting from what you can't afford to what you can pay off. It's shifting from what you don't make to what you do make. It's shifting, and it's a shift in perspective from, from all the things you don't have that you want to all the things realizing that you have all the things you need. It's a shift, and it has nothing to do with how much money you have. People say, well, if I was rich, I could be financially free. No. Because I know, I, know, I, know the, I know some of the richest people I know are not financially free. You know why? Because they're living for financial contentment. They've got so much money and they're afraid of losing the money that they have. And they're attached to the money. That's not financial freedom. Financial freedom is being disconnected in a way where you know that you need to live to survive. You need to make money. You need to have a job. But the money doesn't drive 
who you are as an individual. And so we're going to get into that today. Just remember this, the goal, your goal as a business owner, your goal as someone who's about to retire, your goal as a 21-year-old looking to get married, and we have a couple of those here, uh, you just got a great job making a lot of money. Your goal is to go from financial contentment, which is, will I get to that day that I have enough? No, spoiler alert, you will never have enough. Okay, I joke oftenly, and I'm like, if, 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 if having enough money was a real thing, we wouldn't have billionaires because everybody would have stopped at millionaire. But they don't because you can never have enough. It has nothing to do with what you have. It's what you see and what you do with what you have. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you four things you can do to be financially free. You need to be taking notes. We, we give you these worship guides, uh, and I want you to write down in these the things that we're going to cover. It's going to help you financially. It's gonna, it's gonna, I believe you're going to leave here wealthier, uh, and I believe you're going you're gonna to leave here with a better mindset. Um, but I got to give two disclaimers before we go over these four. First off, the last one we're going to save for next week, so you want to come back because it's one of the most important. We're going to cover three today and two disclaimers really quickly. The first is I am admittedly not a financial planner. I'm a pastor, okay? I, don't, I, I didn't go to school for accounting. I don't know. But it's, my, what I'm going to share with you today are the things that the Bible teaches about money, what Jesus talks about money, that I'm real confident about. And I believe there are principles in that that can help you financially. But also, if you want financial advice from a professional, a couple of us at the church are going to go through a nine-week course called Financial Peace University from a man named Dave Ramsey and Ramsey Solutions. If you need help with your finances, sign up under the black tent. Put your name. We're going to start probably in May. It's going to be a nine-week course where we're going to go through all of our finances together. It's going to be like a small group class. It's going to be great. Do that. If you already subscribe to our email list, we're going to send you something at the end on Monday morning uh, for the win your week. Let's get some good financial advice. So that's my first disclaimer, not a financial uh, advisor, just a pastor. And my second is uh, I want to talk to the person who says why. The person who's been here for 15 minutes since I've been speaking so far and says, aren't we a church? What are we doing talking about money at church? Church should be for the spiritual things. And, and my response to that is simply this. That's like going to automotive school and the first lesson that they give you is on the spark plug. And you get upset saying, why are we learning about spark plugs and not cars? Do you know how much of your life is driven by finances? It's the reason why you get up in the morning. Finances. No human being wakes up at 5 a.m. because they want to. It's because you go in at 6 or 7. And here's the one that really catches you. Finances is the reason why you can't sleep at night. You see, Ecclesiastes 4, 6 says... I've got one handful of tranquility, two handfuls of stress and disappointment. I don't know if you can make the connection, but a lot of times what's in our hands determines what's in our heart. I've got $100 in my wallet right now for the first person who raises their hand. Right now. Sir, I was kidding. But in a moment, he went from hope to disappointment. <laughs> I apologize. My point is... It's not rocket science to understand that what's in our hand has a lot to do with what's in our heart. God doesn't care about your money. He cares about it only because it has such a weight on your heart. He doesn't care about your account. He cares about your actions. He doesn't care. He's not a banker. He's a builder. He doesn't care about the profit. He cares about the process, your stress, your anxiety, your fears, and your hopes. And that's what he's all about. And so let's get into this right now. If you're taking notes, here's the first thing I want you to capture. It's a change in perspective. You need to change the way you see, okay? Can you see it? Here's the first thing you need to see. I need you to see that you don't need that much. Say it with me. Say, I don't need that much. On three, one, two, three. I don't need that much. You know, American culture is a consumer culture. 
Ever since the world shifted from an agriculturally based society to what we are now, an industrial, post-industrial society, a lot has changed. What does that mean? Back in the day, you worked to eat. You were a farmer. You, you grew an apple and you ate an apple and that was work. You, you, you saw a chicken and you killed the chicken and that was work. Today, though, we have grocery stores. Today, we got Domino's Pizza, right? Today, we got Subway. Today, we don't work to eat. Today, we work to consume. And there's a difference because now the word need is interchangeable. Before, we used to need food. That makes sense. Now we say we need things we don't really need. Like we need satellite TV. No, you don't. And I'm speaking to myself. I remember when I legitimately convinced Liz that I needed satellite TV. I made a whole argument for it. We were, I was working three jobs. I told her I was stressed, and, uh, and, and DirecTV was the only thing that carried Sunday NFL tickets. And so I told her, I said, babe, do you love me? Say, yeah. I said, do you want me to be happy? Say, yeah. I said, do you want us to be a peaceful home? Say, yeah. I said, well, then I need NFL Sunday ticket. In order to get that, I need DirecTV. I, 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 I tricked her. We need that new phone. Yours works just fine. But the new phone's got like the extra 10 pixels. And it's got that feature. I really need that feature. What feature? I don't know. But the commercial was awesome. You don't need it. You need those Under Armour shoes. Those $160 Under Armour shoes. I know we got some people working Under Armour, so no offense, but... No, you don't. I talk to people who need Under Armour shoes and say, I need to spend $160 on my shoes. Why? So I can start running. Hold up. Start running? Yeah. And if I had those shoes, I would give it a go. <laughs> Let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to buy those shoes. You're going to run for three days. And you will never see those shoes again. Those will become your, 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 your clean the house shoes. Those will become your painting shoes. They will not be your running shoes. I uh, remember Liz and I counseling one couple that spent $200 on Starbucks coffee in the morning every month. After they went through their budget, we were like, $200 on coffee. What do you think he told me? I need that coffee. I was like, bro, there are cheaper ways. I'm pretty sure we can just inject that thing right inside. If, if it means saving $2,400 a year, let's find pills, okay? Caffeine pills, I mean, of course. Not a fan of amphetamines. I'm just saying. Caffeine pills, they sell them real cheap, 20 bucks. You got like a year's worth of coffee right there. They're probably not safe. Don't take my advice on those things. Uh, I'll stick to Jesus. Uh, how many people legitimately would say, I need TV? Come on, before this message, before you would have felt convicted about it, how many people would have said, I need TV? I've said, I felt that same way. I need TV. And you know what I did? For one month, my family and I decided to fast television. Fasting is abstaining from, to get closer to. And my family and I decided, and, and the craziest thing happened for that month, that we had no television. And for the first two days, we were bored out of our minds. Had no idea what to do. Uh, and then something on the third day, just the, the boredness kicked in uh, to another level. And I grabbed my kids. And we started to play games. We started to wrestle. We started to find toys that we didn't even know existed in their toy chest. And we started having fun. And kids didn't even want to watch TV. 
anymore. And, and, and I went to bed. Usually I found myself after TV going to bed worried about all the work that I had the next day. When I stopped watching television and I started spending more time with my kids, I started realizing just how much of life, I really, the things in my life that I thought I needed that I really didn't need. I went to bed more fulfilled than I did when I was watching television. You don't know what you, you don't realize how much possessions really takes over your life until you can eliminate some of them from you. And I'm telling you, once you have that shift in perspective, once you understand what Jesus said, that life is more than the abundance of things and collection of possessions, a shift takes place in your perspective, a shift takes place in your life, and you instantly become more wealthy. You become more wealthy the moment you need less things. Number one, because when you start buying less things, you save more money. Can I see that little Crayola thing real quick? Can you hand me that? Yeah, this is my son's piggy bank. There are $2 in this piggy bank. You know why we got this and why he has $2? Justice came up to me and said, he said, I want, I want the Captain America shield toy. I said, mom and daddy don't have money for a Captain America shield toy. And he's like, well, how do you get money? I'm like, you get a job. He said, well, I want a job. But let me grab my cell phone real quick. And let me just say that again. <laughs> I'm going to show you this when you're 16 and it's legal. Uh, he said, I want a job. I said, no problem. Liz said, uh, Liz said, well, I can give you a job. She said, he said, okay. She said, uh, I want you to clean up the dog's poop in the backyard. And every time you clean up the poop, you get a dollar. And you put that, you put that dollar in here. And, uh, and so he cleaned up. The, he was so excited to clean up the poop. And he, he's so excited. And he puts the dollar in the Crayola crayon. And then, he, and then he comes back. He's like, I got it. And then he said, then he got real sad. Because then he said, let's go get the shield. I said, no, you don't know how this works. I said, you need, it was $20. The shield is $20. He said, I said, you need 19 more dollars. He said, 19 more dollars? I said, yeah. He said, well, what can I do for $19? I said, right now there's nothing you can do for $19. And he started to cry because he was trying to make $19 in one day. So much of your financial frustration comes from this idea that you can get rich quick. When really God's design for wealth was deposit and save, deposit and save, deposit and save, deposit and save. And that's not just a financial principle, that's a spiritual principle too. Some of you guys, you know, and I'm not, if, you're, if this is your first time I'm not talking to you, I'm just saying some people come to church for one, on one Sunday and expect their marriage to be healed on one Sunday. That's not how it works. You got to make deposits weekly. You got to open up your Bible every morning. You got to pray every afternoon because it's the deposits that give you the wealth that you need to be able to make the transactions in your life that you want to do. You got to be willing to save. And the other reason why you become wealthy automatically, and I want you to write this down because I learned this in Haiti. Uh, I remember going to Haiti a couple years ago, seven years ago almost now. No, longer than that, maybe eight or ten years ago. And uh, we went to play basketball with some some kids, but you had to understand these kids had nothing. Uh, they had no shoes. They were playing basketball barefoot on dirt. They have a hoop that's barely a hoop, and they have a basketball, but the basketball has a, has like a, Josh, you were there, remember? The basketball had like a, like a bump on it for being used so much. You couldn't even bounce it the right way. Like if you wanted to dribble it, you had to dribble at an angle. You were like cutting it. You were like, whoosh. Those kids were killing it. They were great. But here's the thing you didn't expect to see. With no shoes, a messed up basketball, and a half-hanging hoop, there wasn't a kid on that court who didn't have a smile on their face. 
they had nothing. And they were ecstatic to have nothing. And here's what I learned that day. The richest people in the world are not those that have the most, but those that need the least. The richest people in the world are not those that have the most, but those that need the least. This change in perspective inspires a change in priorities. So you know what? I only have one handful. Maybe I don't have that much money, but I've got one handful, but I'm able to work not that many hours. So I've got one handful, but I've got a relationship with my kids. It's better than having two handfuls and missing them grow up. You know, I got one handful, but I got one handful, and me and my wife are having sex three to four times a week. Church, we can talk about this. It's real. You know why it's real? Because there are a lot of people putting 80 hours at work, and your marriage is collapsing because the relationship between you and your wife, you don't even see her anymore. That's a real deal. That's a real thing. I've got one handful, but you know what? I've got one handful, and I'm able to be a part of a growing, vibrant church so I can volunteer, I can serve. It's better than two handfuls and this thing just being religion. I've got one handful, but I've got one handful and a great relationship with God. It's better than having two handfuls and being spiritually bankrupt. Jesus said, you can't serve God and money. And here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you can't be rich and serve God. God has no problem with your bank account. He's fine with you being rich. He hopes that you be rich. He wants you to have nice things. He wants you to be good. But what he doesn't want you is to be a servant of money, which is my next point. The first was you got to see that you don't need that much. And here's my second. You don't need that much right now. Better is one handful of tranquility than two handfuls of stress and unfulfillment. Let me put that in a way that makes sense for you. Better is a Honda Accord that you can buy cash than a Porsche that you put on credit. Better is a flat screen that you buy cash than a curved ultra 4K high def screen that you put on credit. Better is a cubic zirconium that you buy with cash than a diamond earring you put on credit for later. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have nice things. I'm saying don't fight for the nice things now that God would have you have later. Credit will kill you. Debt will kill you. It's a stress. It's a burden. You become a servant of that money. The problem is inside of every one of us, there's a five-year-old who doesn't just want things, but wants things now. You ever seen a five-year-old walk through the supermarket? I want that. I want that. Now! Put it in the shopping cart. Now! Can I pick on ladies for just a moment? I'll pick on guys right after you. You need to move past the clearance rack with speed. With speed. Speed. You know you made a bad purchase if you got to defend it. Did you just buy the, another pair of shoes? You've got 23 pairs of shoes, but it was on. So what? What? Spending money, even little money, you don't have. It's still spending money you don't have. Guys, you're different. You don't, you don't do it in little pieces. No. You save for months and then go all out. Women are like, I bought a shoe, I bought a shoe, I bought an earring. Guys are like, I bought a boat. <laughs> I bought it. It was there in the parking lot and looked good. I bought it. And I needed something to pull it, so I bought a truck. 
And then I needed some place to place it, so I bought a house with a lake. And, and one day, <laughs> you're killing yourself. You got to avoid debt at all costs, man. I remember when Liz and I first got married, we was on a budget. We made $1,500 between us a month. And uh, I remember being so broke, uh, giving the person at McDonald's a hard time behind the counter because I, I was hungry. And I came into McDonald's with $1. And they false advertised. So I'd like to buy a McDouble, please, from the dollar menu. And I pulled out my dollar. I was like, yeah, saving. I'm so frugal. And dropped on the counter. The lady said, that'd be a dollar. Oh, wait. I said, ma'am, I don't have eight cents. And I need that burger right now. <laughs> that tight, that tight. I mean, we, when we, our very first purchase was a television. It was a flat screen. It was a nice one. It was a, we could afford it at the time. We bought it cash. But you know what we couldn't afford? Cable. And we didn't have it until we could afford it. My house was so silly. I had one of the nicest TVs with, a, with, a, with like a clothes hanger as an antenna. We had four channels. Remember those days, baby? Our shows were Bernie Mac, Law and Order SVU, and uh, I can't remember the other one. It was three shows that we watched every night. Law and Order was one of them for sure, and Bernie Mac. We didn't have money for the for no cable TV, and we didn't, and we, and we couldn't until we could afford it. We didn't get it. Here, here, here's a here's a trustworthy saying for you. Listen, say no now, so you can say yes for the rest of your life. Say no now. So you can say yes for the rest of your life. And here's my last point. And I want to call uh, my dad on stage to help me make this point. Would you come up here real quick, dad? The reason I want to call him up is because, oh, you guys don't have to applaud. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, he did give birth to me and all. And so. No, you didn't. Well, you had a part. You were like 50% or 49% responsible. Um, this is my dad. The reason why I brought him up because it really goes with the whole fixer upper. Can you tell the resemblance? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. That's good. Thanks. Um, the reason why I brought him up is because he's a, a general contractor. He's been building houses for as long as I can remember. And, uh, and, and, I, and I was lucky enough to go with him on a couple of jobs. And uh, to, how many houses would you say you have renovated or maybe not even completely renovated, but like you did the kitchen over, you did the bathroom over? Like how many houses would you say you've done? A few hundred. A few hundred houses. Um, and I've been with him on a couple of those jobs. And, uh, and there's a lot of material that you need, right? You need, when you're doing a floor, it's not just floor, right? I learned that with our house. We got to get the underlayment, right? Then we got to get the wood. Sometimes, depending on it, you might need trim. You got trim. You got the glue, staples, and all that stuff, right? Uh, sometimes you might do a bathroom. And you think, well, let me just do the bathroom. But we found out just how much stuff, I found out how much stuff goes into a bathroom. A lot of material. You need pipes. You need the glue for the pipes. You need the cement for the tiles. And you need the grout for the tiles. And and now all the ton of stuff. And, and you know what I've noticed in the, in the few jobs that I've been a part with you, Dad, is, is that you've always done the building, but you've never done the buy-in. I, I mean, you had all those materials. Thousands and thousands of dollars worth of materials sometimes in a job, right? Sometimes tens of thousands of dollars, depending on the job. Could be up tens of thousands. Um, uh, who, who buys the material? The owner. The owner buys the material. He does the building, but the owner buys the material. And why does the owner buy the material? His property. <laughs> because it's his house. Here's my last point. I know you're frustrated. 
I know you're stressed. And I know you got a lot of weight, a lot of bills, a lot of goals. I know you're about to retire. I know you're about to send your kid off to school. I know you're about to get married. I know you're single and you ain't got much. Here's the one thing you got to tell yourself when you begin to feel the stresses of finances come all over you. It's God's house. It's God's house. It's God's house. You know what your job is? Just do the building. You just keep working. You just keep working. Set the budget. Pay off the debt. When it comes time for the resources to come in, you go to the owner. He'll cover that bill because it's his house. Remember, you're the fixer-upper. He bought you. You just keep working. You got issues in your marriage? You know what? Tell her you love her in the morning. Tell her you love her at night and let him provide the love. He'll provide the resources. He'll provide the material. You just keep doing your part. You just keep doing the building. And you will see that God will provide for you. But you got to shift your perspective from the things that you lack to the one who can provide. This is God's house. You got kids. That's great. It's God's house. He's got your kids. 20 years left. It's okay. He's got those 20 years. It's his house. He's going to supply. He just wants you to have the faith to build. And he'll bring you what you need. He'll bring you what you need. In the story, in, 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 uh, Jesus said, well, your treasure is as your heart will be. And then right after that, he says, don't be anxious, he says. Look at the trees outside. Look at the, at the rose on the ground. Look at the bird in the nest. And then he asks a question. Who provides for those animals? Who, who provides for that tree? And he's talking to people who are worried about finances, worried about money, worried about providing. He says, I'll provide. And if I'm providing for a rose, a tree, and a, and a pigeon, how much more will I provide for my sons and daughters of Christ? How much more will I provide? question to you is, can you see it? Can you see the one who will provide? Because oftentimes provision follows vision. You've got to be able to see and trust that the Lord is good. Put your hope in him and he will give it to you. But you know why we can't see it? Because we're not high enough. We've got a two-story building here. You know what this first story is called? Work. Now, work is important. I love working. I really do. I love my job. I love going to work. Work is good. Work is valuable. Work puts food on the table. Work puts a roof over your head. I'm not knocking work. Work is good. The only problem with work, the only issue with work, and it's just a challenge you got to be aware of, is that work offers a very limiting perspective because you can't see from down here. And so you can't see your kids when you're working because it's work. It's just the nature of work. You can't see your wife wondering when you're going to come home when you're working because you're working. It's work. You can't see the goodness of God because the weight of the debt is crushing you. You can't see. But you know what Jesus told John in the book of Revelations? He said, come up higher. Come up higher. Because when you come up higher, you can see who God is in your life. And you can see not just who he is, who he has been and who he will be. We got to go higher. And when we go higher, 
our perspective, our perspective shifts. Why is this important? There was a time in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, where the, where, where the, the Israelites were stressing out. They didn't have enough money. They didn't have enough food. They didn't have enough resources. And you know what God told them? He said, come up higher. Come up to this mountain. And let me show you. Don't you remember Egypt? Don't you remember Egypt? Remember when you didn't have nothing and I sent fireballs from heaven? Remember when there was a big sea in your way and I split it so you can walk through? Sometimes we got to get higher so that we can see not just where we're going, but all the things that God has taken us through. Remember 2008? Remember 2010? Remember 2011 when you didn't think you'd make it and you didn't think you'd be here and he got you through that? I know right now feels crazy. I know right now feels tight. But if you would just get higher and get some perspective on your situation, you could say, hey, you know what? That is kind of scary. But the same God who took me through that is the same God that's going to get me through this and the same God who's going to get me over there. I believe and I see. I can see it. Listen, and you know what this is called? The first floor is called work. You need it. It's important. You know what the second floor is called? Worship. We got to work. Monday through Friday, we got to work. I'm not knocking work. We got to do it. But if we don't find time to get away from our work and worship, are you hearing me? If we can't find the time to pull from our work to get a little bit higher and worship, we will never find the perspective that brings peace through the problem. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this message. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. If you would like to share your testimony or if you have any prayer requests, please email us amen at journeyorl.com where we'll have a team of people ready to celebrate with you and pray with you. Also, if you would like to help support the ministry of Journey Church in a financial way, you can do so by visiting journeyorl.com and choosing the giving option or text journeyorl to 77977. We hope you'll join us again soon. Have a great week.